Hello, listeners. This is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is PSG Small Talk for Saturday, March 31st, 2018. This episode will be a two-parter, and this is what I mean. In the first section of this audio recording, I will cover PSG's 3-0 victory in the Coupe de la Ligue final against AS Monaco. And in the second part of this recording, I have a conversation with my good friend Tyler Dunn of Banter FC as we discuss the potential new favorite and at this point almost confirmed new coach of Paris Saint-Germain, Thomas Tuchel. So let's start with part one. PSG, after the Madrid losses really was not in a very good place. I think mentally they were in a bad place. Physically, they'd been drained. And this last month, this PSG squad has had to pick itself up off the floor and continue its domestic dominance. Because as disappointing and as sad as the Champions League was... To me, PSG have an opportunity to have the single greatest season in the history of French football. They have a shot at 100 points in the league, which has never been done. They have a shot at yet another domestic quadruple, which is something that, again, PSG should take pride in. Because only one team wins the Champions League. And yes, I understand that it's more about the way that they lost the Champions League as opposed to them actually losing it. But still, losing to Real Madrid is not something to be ashamed about, no matter really how you do it. Now, could there have been things that they could have done better? Absolutely, and we've talked about that ad nauseum. But at some point, it's time to turn the page, and it's time to look ahead to what the rest of this season could offer. And this was the, I would say, last major game against a top-flight opponent in a game with that high pressure and high stakes. And yes, Monaco is not as good as it was last year, but they are still Monaco. They are still a tough opponent. They still play hard. They still give PSG issues from time to time. And... This was a way, this was a game for PSG to make the statement that they are going to complete what I, again, I'll say it again, what I think would be the greatest season in the history of French football. And they started off well, and the man that started off the best, the man that got this team going was Kylian Mbappe. Now, ever since the Madrid game, we have really seen, and... To to an extent, ever since Neymar's injury, we have seen Kylian Mbappe start to really come into his own. And the form he had at the end of 2017, the form that he had when he was still with Monaco in the Champions League semifinals, you're seeing that form again. And you're seeing it in a much more complete way. Kylian Mbappe right now is pretty much doing it all. He's tracking back on defense. He's making great runs from the center of the field. 
He's making great passes. He's blowing by people. He's making great long runs on the wings. He's beating people off the dribble. He's passing well in the box. You watch this game and literally every good thing you could imagine Kylian Mbappe doing except for scoring a goal. He did not score a goal in this game, which is kind of unfair in the sense that he was by far the player of this game. But he did it all. He set up the first goal by dribbling inside, got inside the penalty box. Kamel Glick knocked him over. And there was a question on whether Adjian Rabio touched the ball when he was in an offside position before Mbappe got hit. They went to the VAR, the video assistant replay, and Turpin pointed to the spot. Cavani shot it in, 1-0. And then the second goal was a brilliant pass from midfield from Kylian Mbappe. Took the ball, got it down the right-hand side. Great on the field, not even a, not even like an in-the-air ball. It was just a dart on the ground that stopped right where Di Maria could just kind of settle it and shoot. And Subasic could not really go out and get it because the ball was too far out. It was literally the perfect pass. So that made it 2-0. Falcao made it 2-1 until another VAR ruling uh, said that Radamel Falcao was off sides. Or he touched it with his hand or something. They wouldn't really made that clear. Now, I'll do a little quick bit about VAR. Because I don't think I've really given my opinion that much on it. Now, let me just remind people that I'm from the United States. We have had instant replay in our sports for... 10, 15, 20 years. And yes, it slows the game down. Yes, if you allow it to take over every aspect of the game, you're going to have three and a half hour games like we do in the United States. And part of football's appeal is that it's a tidy two hour game. And then we don't have to stand here and wait, wait for a machine to tell us if the guy was offsides or not. And I think over the years, football fans have um, made that sort of deal with football in the sense that, okay, there's going to be calls that don't go right, but we'd rather the flow of the game be kept intact. Now, me personally, I, I think VAR's fine. I think it's perfectly all right if it's able to be done in at least a somewhat suitable manner. And you're not in the situation where you've got 20 players running up to the official and trying to influence it and trying to act incredulous. Just if there's going to be a VAR, have the ref blow the whistle, run off the field, look at the monitor or whatever, get away from the players, listen to the headset, they make the ruling, and then they just put the ball immediately back in play, and we save any sort of arguments or discussions. VAR can be done well. It's just these leagues that are trying to implement it right now are not doing a very good job of it, and it's going to take time. But I think eventually, just like we did in America, people will get used to it, and it'll just be part of the game. So negatives about PSG's performance in the first half. I thought it was sloppy. I thought their midfield was sloppy. Rabio, Verratti, they weren't. They were being a little too stubborn playing the ball out of the back, especially once they got the lead 
and Monaco really started to put the pressure on. I understand why PSG do that. I get that it's their strategy. I understand it. And I've been beating this dead horse for the last year or so. But there have to be certain situations where you just kick the ball as far as you can and set up your defense and just press and get rid of that get rid of those situations when they get to a point where you have people dribbling backwards or passing it into the middle of the field to nobody and the Monaco players are stepping up and taking the ball there ha- you have to at certain times relieve the pressure and play somewhat smart and i thought when PSG got ahead midway through the first half I thought they started to try to get too cute again. They got less direct. They tried to pass out of the back a little too much. And Monaco was able to take advantage. And they almost got back into the game. The second half was a lot better, though, than the first half. The second half, I thought PSG had more control of the ball. They were more pragmatic. They forced Monaco into some silly challenges. They put Monaco into foul trouble. And... At that point, PSG slowly took control of the game and got the third goal off of another good little set of build-up with Cavani finishing it off in the bottom left corner. So, in the end, just looking at the overall performances, great center-back play. Kimpembe and Silva, I think, are starting to complement each other very well. And I think they're going to be pretty shut down from now until the end of the year. We'll see what 2018 brings, but it was pretty obvious that Marquinhos was rushed back into the lineup for that second leg against Real Madrid. And it's clear at this point that Marquinhos isn't really 100%. So as long as Silva and Kimpemba are playing together the, the way they are, No real reason to rush Marquinhos back if you don't have to. I thought Yuri was very good in this game. This is one of Yuri's better games. He tracked well. He wasn't as integral in the link-up because it was a lot more counterplay in that first half. But he covered on a few good plays. Alves, again, you know what you're going to get. I'm just telling you, you know what you're going to get. He's not going to be great defensively, but he's still one of the more gifted right-backs in the world when it comes to linking up and building an attack. Still is. And if they can sort of figure out a way next year, if he's still on the team, to protect him and use him in certain situations and certain roles, he will be a very valuable player for them next year, if he wants to even do that. A very good game from Julian Draxler. Julian Draxler was good enough defensively. He was stepping in. This is on the high end of the Julian Draxler performances that you're going to get. Because it was more total. He was tracking back. He was making good link-up plays. He was getting into the box. He was getting shots. And you know when Julian Draxler is effective. Because when he's getting into the box and he's making strong runs... You can tell that he's confident in what he's seeing in the game. Because Draxler is very much a player who plays based on sort of the feel and the flow of the game. 
And I think in this game, he felt comfortable as sort of the attacking midfielder. Where Rabio and Verratti could be a little more pragmatic. Draxler was sort of freed up in this game to be a little more attacking. And I thought he did well in that role. We talked about Mbappe, Cavani. This is about as typical a Cavani game as you can get. Bunch of misses, but a bunch of key shots. Was better in link-up play than I've seen him in a while. Was getting up the field a little more that allowed Kylian Mbappe to get behind and gave Mbappe some space. Angel Di Maria did enough. Again, very typical Angel Di Maria game. Gets a goal, has a couple goofy moments, but for the most part, and, and I would say again, overall, this was a strong performance by a team that needed to win this game. And it is PSG's obligation, in the same way that it is Barcelona's, it is Bayern's, and it is Juventus's, to compete and try to win as many trophies as they possibly can. And PSG did not concede the Coupe de la Ligue. They did not take it lightly. They put good teams into it. They made a genuine attempt to win it. There's a lot of teams around Europe that are in the habit of giving up competitions and making decisions as to what competitions they play and what competitions they don't, which competitions are above them and which are beneath them. For me, even though I think people, especially non-PSG fans, will go, well, what do they care about winning these stupid cup competitions? You know, why are they, you know, they don't even care when they win. Well, if you saw the players after the game, maybe they weren't jumping up and down and celebrating for joy like they'd won a Champions League, but they darn sure looked like they cared. And I think as a professional, as a competitor, your goal is to win every tournament that you play, or at least attempt to. And when you play at the highest level, like PSG do, winning these cups are not nothing. They're something. Right now, as we switch gears into the league, PSG have Saint-Étienne next Saturday. And if PSG win that game, they will be one win away. Technically two wins away. But they'll be one win and a Monaco loss or two wins away from clinching their seventh League One championship. And the reason I kind of fumbled on the clinching scenarios is because, let's put it this way, I'll make it simple. If they beat Saint-Étienne on Saturday... Then the following Sunday, which I believe is the 15th, they will play AS Monaco in the Parc des Princes. And if PSG beat Monaco in that game, they will be able to celebrate the League One Championship, winning it in front of their home crowd. This, again, would be a really big moment. Dethroning the champions. Not by proxy, but facing the champions and beating the champions to win the championship, to clinch it. That's a big deal. That matters. And if PSG can do that, it's not going to take away the sting of this Champions League campaign. 
but it will certainly prove something. And it'll prove that this PSG team is still on the right track in the sense that they will not be derailed by setbacks. They'll get knocked down, but they will get back up and they will be as successful domestically as they've been in the last five years. And I'm very, and if you can tell by my voice, I'm very fired up because I feel like this is a really important stretch for PSG to make some points to people and to not go into the offseason lightly, but to go in firing and to go in beating everybody, winning everything, and showing our new coach, whoever that may happen to be, what type of team that they are getting. And speaking of the new coach, there have been a lot of news sources converging around the idea that one Thomas Tuchel, the former Borussia Dortmund head coach, will become the new manager at Paris Saint-Germain. Now, when I saw that these rumors were starting to really get heated, and now it's almost at the point where it would be a massive upset if he wasn't the manager. I thought it would be time to bring in my good friend Tyler Dunn. So after probably about a three to five second break, you will hear part two of this edition of Small Talk featuring my little interview with Dortmund fan and head podcaster of Bantam Banter FC, blah, blah. Let's try that again. And podcaster extraordinaire, the voice of Banter FC, Tyler Dunn. So with the uh, news over the last week that Tomas Tuchel has become the heavy favorite to become the coach of Paris Saint-Germain, I have sent out the Dunn signal. And right now on the line is... From Banter FC, Tyler Dunn. He also does a Dortmund podcast on occasion. And he has watched Tomas Tuchel manage. And he has very um, clear thoughts on what he thinks of Tomas Tuchel and the potential hire. So before we get into that, Tyler, you just saw the sixth goal that um, Dortmund just gave up. Yes, I did. So right now they're losing 6-0 on the road to their rival. Yep. And if I can if I can uh, sort of set the stage here, last year I believe in a uh, in a cup semifinal, uh, Thomas Tuchel led Borussia Dortmund beat Bayern. Yep. Am I right about that? Yes, sir, you are. You are you're definitely right in crazy. Six nothing. This Bayern team put five goals past Dortmund in the first half and they took the foot off the pedal. And then they just put on a 6-1. That's just rubbing salt in the wounds. Thomas Tuchel's team would not have conceded six goals to Bayern. They would have actually made this a competition. Yes, and this is very far from a competition. But let's go back a little bit. So, Thomas Tuchel is 44 years old. He was originally, in his first kind of important job, was the coach at Mainz. Which is about a mid-level German team. And... Coached two years from 15 to 17 at Borussia Dortmund. Mm -hmm. You saw him coach. 
your initial thoughts on Tuchel when he started and how he evolved over the two years he was at Borussia Dortmund and how did he change the team? Well, he has many, many parallels with a very popular German coach that coaches Liverpool FC. Uh, same thing happened with Jurgen Klopp. He started at Mainz and then made the move from Mainz to Borussia Dortmund. While Mainz has kind of hit the iron hot twice when it comes to really good up-and-coming German managers, his time at Mainz, his teams were really, really good, really competitive. Obviously, you're not going to boast a really good win record like he did in his, you know, his two years with Borussia Dortmund. But you could see that tactically he was getting it right. He gave teams a really hard time. I mean, he won more than he lost. He had a lot of draws. But at the end of that run with Mainz, we knew that this guy was going to be something special. He comes in. Uh, he has to do a changing of a guard. You know, he's taking over for Jurgen Klopp, a team that won you know, two Bundesliga titles, been to the Champions League finals against the same Bayern Munich team, lost in that final at Wembley Stadium. So he's got to come in. Uh, he loses a lot of key players. You know, he loses Matt Holmes. He loses Gundogan. He loses Henrik Mkhitaryan. All right, now he's got to do a changing of the guard. He just lost three of his best players. Uh, one was the player of the year in the Bundesliga. One is the best German uh, central midfielder at the time before his injury problems, Gundogan. And then obviously Germany's best center back. So he loses all that. He's now got to revitalize the team, you know, re-put this team together, retool it. Besides, an, an unnamed uh, French youngster, Fermanese, uh called Usman Dembele. And guess what he does? He electrifies them last season. And what does he do? He earns a move to Barcelona for over 100 million euros under the guidance of Thomas Tuchel. Christian Pulisic, an American who nobody knew about, now he's the face of American soccer. So he's proven that he gives youth an opportunity, young, promising players chances to play, and succeeding to very, very high. He has a 63% win percentage, 108 games managed. He's won 68. He only lost 17, and their team have scored 245 goals, and they only conceded a whopping 113. 108 matches managed and only 113 conceded. That in itself is impressive. Yeah, I, I would agree. And from the times that I, I watched Dortmund during the Tuchel era, I think they they pass the ball an awful lot. It's possession, but it's not sort of um, aimless possession. It seems like there's a goal behind what he's trying to do with the possession in the back and also the formational changes, which has sort of become his calling card in a way where you, you describe Thomas Tuchel as a manager. You talk about his sort of unpredictability and his ability to try to at least try to adapt his game plan for the team that he's playing, which is very different than what PSG have been used to in their history. So just talk a little bit about the way he manages, the game plans, the formations, all of that good stuff. They play to what will benefit PSG. They do a pace oriented attack so that means they're playing quick on the counter they're playing with width on the wings and they have a potent striker pierre emmerich Aubameyang is a player that earned the links that he did eventually moving to arsenal which i think was career suicide that's another conversation for another time but in his most potent season in his career he hit 56 goals and 63 appearances under tuchel 56 goals and 63 appearances i don't care what striker you are what league you play in 56 
bowls in 63 appearances is really incredible. When we transition him possibly to PSG, you have Neymar on the left, you have Mbappe on the right, and possibly Mbappe will make that move into the central position in a year or two once Cavani gets segued out possibly next year. This team will be electric by playing on that counterattack, winning the ball in defense and playing it quickly. This team plays really quickly, and I think with even better talent, than what he had at his disposal, this team will be even more electrifying. And I think he could be one of those guys who has a defensive mind and he can manage tactically like Allegri, but plays the attacking flair like Jurgen Klopp. I think he will be an absolute home run. I think he can be a definite game changer. And especially out of all the options available to PSG, I think this was the best one I said to you on Banter FC a month ago. They should be looking at this guy. And with all the news coming out of Paris and in Germany, he is the heavy favorite to take over for the uh, French Giants. Yeah, and um, I, I, the reason I didn't quite go with you on that when you said it was just because, again, um, football a lot of times is about contacts. It's about who you know. It's about what agents you're comfortable dealing with. And apparently, Tomatoko can speak French, which I didn't exactly expect him to be able to do that. And it seems like this has been in the works for quite a while which is also not surprising in a way, but also not surprising in that, of course, PSG were going to look for the Emery um, backup plan because it was pretty clear that there was a very high chance that Unai Emery would not be able to take this team out of the quarterfinals and because they drew Real Madrid in the round of 16, he didn't even get that far. Now, just back tactically quickly... um, Talk about his four one four one and how he used uh, Julian Weigel oh, yeah. in that in that defensive it, it, midfield it, it, spot. It is day and night the player that Julian Weigel has become. Last year he was one of the best up and coming Germans, and he was getting linked with moves to Bayern Munich. He was going to be he was the next best thing. They said, "Yep, we had Gundogan. Now we got Weigel. We think Weigel can be even more pivotal." Now Peter Bosz comes in. Peter Stoker there now. Michael's dip in form and the player that he was last year to this year, I mean, it's night and day. And when, as we mentioned, when you play in a team that plays with a pace-oriented player passes fast, it opens up more space for that, that number six position. And I think a Verratti in that position could be very, very good or even possibly somebody that could be signed in the summertime in that sixth position. I think it will benefit uh, whoever the number six for PSG is because it will allow more space up the field and allow them to play even better passes from uh, midfield into the attack. And Weigel's prominence and his rise is really, really uh, circled around what Tuchel's system gave him. And look at where he's at now. Look at where he's at. You know, look at him last year. Look at him now. That's exactly why Tuchel will be such a sensational signing for PSG is because He gives young players the opportunities to express themselves and to get into the form of their life and then get to that next level. When you have a manager of that quality that can say, okay, this is the older guard, the Tiago Motas of the world, you're getting up there in age. Tiago Silva, you're getting up there in age. There will be a changing of the guard at PSG if he takes over. He's had a history of it. You know, he tried to get rid of Stubitich. He tried to get rid of Weidenfeller, and he tried to get rid of Blazikowski. And they were stalwarts at the club, Champions League, you know, finalists, Bundesliga winners. He rubbed them the wrong way, but he said, you weren't good enough. I'm not saying Thiago Silva isn't a great defender, but he's getting up there in age, and there will be a time where he needs to be 
taken out of the team and the younger players need to be given an opportunity to express themselves because you can only go out there and sign so many players. And your guys at star center back who made his French debut, I believe, Kimpembe, I yep. think he was, made his French debut, arguably one of the best French defenders out there as a prospect and possibility could be playing for France at the World Cup. I think he's the right man to come in because he's not afraid to tell the stalwarts of the club, the, the veteran players, you're not good enough, time to get out. And he does not care what the president of the club will say. He will stand up for himself. And I think sometimes that ego is what will benefit him in the future. Well, and let's let's uh, get to that too because I think part of the um, hesitation that people have with this Tuchel to PSG move is that they've seen what happened with Unai Emery and how Unai Emery got eaten up by that locker room. I tend to think it'll be a little bit different with Tuchel because I really feel like the board in Qatar, the people that run the club, run the club financially, I think they want to turn this thing over and get out a lot of the, if this is indeed what they're doing, I think they want to get out some of the Zlatan era holdovers and transition this club into the Neymar, Mbappe, Rabio, Kimpembe, Lo Celso, Draxler, that sort of Marquinhos, those guys. And obviously the Timothy Weyas, the Yassine Adleys from the youth system. I think they see that they can't do another 200 million euro um, transfer. They can't spend 400 million euros on two players, essentially, in one window anymore. And they may be able to make tweaks here and there. They'll be able to maybe bring in some Fabinho's or an Alexandro or maybe even a Julian Weigel. But they're going to need to have a coach who can um, give them something better when it comes to the youth and not back down to sort of the entrenched power structure that they have. So with that all being said, do you think he can get along well enough to where this won't sort of blow up in their face immediately? Because I think if he gets enough time, he'll turn that roster over and he'll have the guys in there that he wants. But will he be given that time? Is two years enough time? I think, well, with him, I think he's proven against Bayern Munich, who is the, you know, a team that has had a really good success in the Champions League. I think tactically, uh, I think he'll be good enough to really earn the respect of his PSG players. But I do think it will take a year or two to segue out some of those older talents to really evolve the team into the style he wants. But the thing that his history with management and the reason why he had a bad one at Dortmund, uh, first off, Watzka... Uh, told him uh, we're not going to sell. We're not going to sell Matt Holmes. We're not going to sell Gundogan and Henrik Mkhitaryan all in the same summer. They told me, yeah, we wouldn't sell all of them. Kept happened to them. They sold those three players. So what if I were to take away your three best players? And I promised you I wouldn't get rid of those three best players. That's going to cause a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a problem. And then when you say, hey, can you sign this defender, which is Omar Toprak, which they eventually signed the next summer? He asked for them, like, you're going to sell Hummels. Let me at least get Toprak. And they didn't sign him. So there was transfers that were issues and that there was a little uh, discrepancy there in the way that the club was being managed. And I think the president of PSG, I think, is a very intelligent man. I think he understands, okay, I think we made a bad deal here. We gave him an opportunity. But 
Vince is kind of a placeholder, and I think Tuchel is such a genius when it comes to being a football manager that I think he will be able to get the transitioning of that Brazilian core that kind of has a placeholder and a grip on the club currently, that Zlatan era, as you mentioned, and Thiago Silva. We know we talked about it on your podcast. We talked about it on my podcast about the rumors that Thiago Silva changed the tactics and that 6-1 defeat against Barcelona. I think he kind of got to peel the paper away. You got to peel the the onion. And I think it starts with the captain, Thiago Silva. And I think Tuchel is not afraid to go up against veteran leadership and rub his relationships wrong with those kind of players. And I think if PSG is really going to go that route, I think they'll give him the opportunity to get rid of those players. And I think it's a good way to make the president not look bad and say, yeah, no, we did give him the job. He doesn't want you anymore. I think he's being sent in there to trim the fat. Yeah. And I and I'm that's almost the exact point I make in the article that's going to come out either tonight or tomorrow on this whole Tuchel deal, which is you not and I'm going to use some wrestling terms here. So for those of you who don't watch um, or don't understand wrestling, you may not be able to follow me on this. But Emery's way too much of a babyface to make that system work at PSG. He wanted to be too nice. Yeah. I think Tuchel's a guy that can be the heel. I think he can be the bad guy a little bit and sort of do the things that are necessary to transition the club. And we keep using that word transition, but it's a club that two years ago, and as I'm looking at Zlatan right now on on Fox in his new LA Galaxy warmups, which is kind of weird, but I'll I'll go with it. Um, Zlatan left the club and they never really changed a lot. Emery just kind of came in and fit. Like, he just kind of wanted to be there, and when they sort of uh, shut down his whole tactical plan in the first month, he just kind of gave in to them. And I think even the uh, people at Qatar, I think even Nasser Al-Khalifi and the Emir who's above him, I think they understand that they need two things. They need a good, young, solid core of players who they can have for the next five, seven years. And they need a manager in the present who's willing to make difficult decisions and who's not going to sell out the team in the next year or two to try to win a Champions League. I mean, they can still compete for one. I have no doubt about that. But they're not with this hire saying we're going to win the Champions League next year. They may say that and they'll be lying if they do, but this is not about winning the Champions League this year or next year or the year after. This is about putting the club in a situation where in the long term, whenever they decide to sell it or whenever, whenever they want to extend their run with it or whatever, that the club is decently well run and at a managerial level that they get rid of those high salaries and they start getting guys on manageable contracts. They sort of clear the deck and you build the team around three to four, maybe five really good players and then find the pieces that can fit. And Enrique is not going to do Luis Enrique is not going to do that. Antonio Conte is not going to do that. Carlo Ancelotti sure as hell wouldn't do that. Yep. So 
if your goal is sort of the long-term health of the club, I think this is a good hire. And I think it, what also makes it good for the health of the club is that there's a young kid named Tim Weah. Mm-hmm. And we've, yep. seen what, we've seen what he's done with one young American. What do we think he could do with another star talent? I mean, he's proven it. Usman Dembele, Christian Pulisic, Julian Weigel, all players under the age of 20, all thriving and playing tremendous football. I mean, he is such a great mind manager. I'm going to just put this in perspective. The 2016-27 season was his last season, right? Yeah. They finished 64 points. With six games to go, Dortmund have 48 points. They would have to win out two match last year's point total, right? They have conceded 39 goals already this season. Last season, Dortmund only conceded 40, and they sold. And they had a horrible defense. It wasn't a great defense by any stretch of the imagination. They scored 72 goals. They had a plus 32 goal differential. Currently, Dortmund have a plus 15 goal differential. 32. Yeah. So that's telling you that with a Usman Dembele, Christian Pulisic attack with Pierre Aubameyang, they were able to score an obscenely amount of goals. 72 goals in the league. Yeah. That is incredible. They went on and they won the German Cup. They went to back-to-back Pokals, lost the penalties the first time, won it the second time against Bayern. That should tell you exactly where this man is and what his brain is like. And something that will make PSG fans happy, he won. He didn't lose a game at home in his tender with Borussia Dortmund at home in the Bundesliga. He did not lose a game at home. So that should tell you. He yeah. can make a fortress and they will score a lot of goals. And, they won 13 last year and they drew four games. And just quickly before we go, how do you think, again, and I think all PSG fans, maybe not all, maybe the ones that have watched more recently, sort of just say that the Champions League is the end-all, be-all. And I think they might be slightly upset that they're not getting a manager who's won Champions Leagues or been really deep in Champions Leagues, but explain why you think that he even while he's transitioning the team, there's that word again, what he can do in Champions League games to give PSG a better chance of winning them than, let's say, Unai Emery or Laurent Blanc. See, this is very interesting, is that he doesn't have the pedigree, as you mentioned. He didn't, you know, Dorman haven't had the, you know, the glitz and glams. You know, winning the league, you know, it's kind of been a transition over back to Bayern and, the, and their power surgeons. But that doesn't mean that he can't get the job done in European competition. I mean, that's just, it, it'd be a fool to say, oh, no, no, he hasn't won enough. Okay, he didn't win his domestic league, right? But he owned the, he'd been to the final of his domestic cup twice in two years. Yeah. Has a 63% winning percent possession. He scores a lot of goals, as we mentioned. He concedes very minimal. Only five goals more than total games played in his time with Dortmund. And let's talk about how he doesn't have any great international talent at that center back position. He's got fullbacks that were on the decline. He had below average center backs that play. I mean, you can give Socrates the, the Greek international. You can give him possible, you know, give him a pat on the shoulder. He is a solid defender. But besides that, he has one good center back and the rest is, eh. you give him a team like PSG, you give him an opportunity to manage at the highest level. Tactically, I, Say he's just as good as Allegri, but he plays the entertaining football like Jurgen Klopp, and he will 
get the job done. He's done it in the Champions League in the past. He's won games in the Champions League. And I think it will be... The the time will tell with PSG fans. But I think Emery might have had the Sevilla background in the Europa League. But he doesn't have the personality as to go back to your wrestling analogy. He's a baby face. He won't want to divert away from the tactics that will make them winners. And I think... Tuchel will play to his team's advantage, and he will play systems that will give his team the best opportunities. And veteran players will respect the manager that can get the job done. And it doesn't matter how many trophies they won or how little trophies won. If you come in with the confidence as a big manager, and the clubs like Chelsea and clubs like Liverpool and clubs like Bayern and clubs like Arsenal have wanted this man's service, that should tell you all you need to know about the man. And even the German national team. He was even rumored to be up for it after Jurkem Lowe retires or moves on to Bayern Munich, who has also been a frontrunner for the Bayern job. That should tell you everything you need to know about that. The German national team, arguably the best national team in the world, wanted him. The best German team wanted him. So in his homeland, he was coveted, and he turned it down because the PSG project has such an allure about it. And to prove himself outside of Germany and prove that he's the best German manager. And if he wins the Champions League with PSG, that confirms everything, that he's the best man in Germany and the best German manager. And I think that's a good place to leave it off. I'm feeling optimistic. And I, I was feeling optimistic before we talked, and I'm feeling more optimistic now that we've talked. So, Tyler, again, just tell the people where they can find you. Um, Twitter, um, whatever. Plug away. All right. You can follow me on Twitter, tdunfooty, D-U-N-N-E. You can follow... Uh, me, I'm on the Twitter there. Make sure you check out Banter FC, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast at. Uh, just remember one more thing, guys. He didn't have Mario Gertzai either, and he still led that team to third place in the Bundesliga and the most goal scored and the second best goal differential behind Bayern Munich as well, and he won the Pokal. And hot, hot take, guys, they're 21 points behind Bayern now. Yeah, I, I think I think it speaks for itself in that regard. So, uh, Tyler Dunn, thank you very much for coming on on short notice. Um, it's an absolute pleasure. The PSG Talking Podcast is one of the best out there. For all you PSG fans and non-PSG fans, you guys got an absolute dime of a man in Mark Damon. Oh, oh you're making me blush. Thank, thank you very much. So, for Tyler Dunn, this has been PSG Talk contributor to Mark Damon. Au revoir for now.